Thanks, Travis. Thanks, worship team. I really, uh, all the songs, but especially that last one he sang for the message, just uh, for whatever reason, touched my heart today. I hope it did the same for you. I want to start with a, with a bit of an announcement. You, you may have noticed that uh, uh, this last couple of Sundays, that as you come in, or, or uh, that there's a guy sitting out there in the lobby. And uh, I think today it's, is it Lauren out there now? Yeah, and so, so I want you to know, it's not that Lauren and I have had a falling out and he can't stand to look at me anymore. Uh, we actually have uh, uh, spent some time, in fact, four guys in particular have spent a lot of time. We've, we've set up a security team, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a sad uh, realization of the day and age we're in where we have to make sure that we watch out and take care of things, and we feel a real big responsibility to take care of, of uh, you folks, and especially the kids upstairs, uh, and so, and and even our uh, uh, the insurance company we deal with is a, they uh, specialize in churches, and they've really encouraged it as well. So we've had some guys, four guys, that have gone through some pretty serious training on how to do this and do this well. And it's uh, it's Lauren Cleveland, uh, Darnell Boyson, uh, uh, Darwin Demit, and Randy Dye. And so you'll be seeing them. They'll be they'll be sitting back there in the hallway and and just kind of watching both doors and. And uh, just to, just to make sure that we do a good job of caring for our body here. Now, one of the things that they would like me to tell you is, if you would like to help out with that right now, four guys is we would done a rotation. But if you'd like to, if you'd like to be a part of this team, this ministry team, and that's what it is, then talk to one of those guys. They can they'll help guide you in that process and and uh, just uh, give you the information that you need. And they would welcome welcome the help, but uh, just wanted you to know what was going on there a little bit so that uh, you didn't feel strange. Why this is this guy sitting out here watching me? That's, that's, that's what's happening there. Let me pray for us and let's dig into today's passage. Father, thanks for the conversation. We're going to have a day around your word. Thank you for this body of believers, this church family. Just really appreciate being a part of it and, and Lord, so appreciate your word. I, it's just... Uh, it's remarkable how practical it is, and it, and it shouldn't be remarkable. You designed us, and as the designer, you know what is best, and, uh, in, and that's in regard to our individual lives, but us too as a church uh, as well. As, and, and you give us guidance, and we sure appreciate that. And so as we walk into today's conversation and think through this passage today as we continue in this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinth church, just... Uh, Help our hearts to be open to what it is you want each of us to take home from this and, and how you want us to apply it to our church as a whole. We just pray these things in your son's name. So we're, we're in, in fact, if you want to, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, you can turn to that in your Bibles. We're going to be in chapter 4 today uh, or on your devices. And uh, I want you to know, I, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, just the position that I've, that I've held my whole adult life, but I've always been kind of drawn to leadership, leadership books, leadership quotes, uh, and uh, so there's a couple that I want to throw out today that are kind of ones that, I, that I've found recently. This one I found a while back, but I really enjoyed. John Maxwell uh, was a pastor for several decades, and, and then about uh, 10, maybe 15 years ago, he, he stepped out of the pastor and went into, uh, started a ministry where he's just training leaders full-time, is what he does. And, and here's a quote that I found a while back that he did that I thought was Really, uh, you know, in its simplicity, a lot of depth to it. He says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And, and certainly from his vantage point, because most of his training is, is from regarding the, you know, as being godly leaders, he, 
uh, the, he knows the way, which means the Word of God. Uh, he, he recognizes he has, he has to invest himself in learning the truth. But then he practices it. He goes the way. He doesn't tell everybody else what to do. He actually lives what he, what he knows, what he believes to be true from the Word of God, and then in the process shows others the way. So that's one that I thought was, was a pretty good quote. Here's, here's another one going back in our history. And, you know, some of these, if you look in this, this quote in the context of the timing, now here's John Quincy Adams. We're talking about the American Revolution when we are, are fighting to be established as a country. And, and you had, and if you've ever, if you like history, you know that was a, a uh, fragile time for us. We, we, you, you certainly had individuals who were, felt an obligation to uh, that government across the waters and, and that we shouldn't be breaking loose from them. You had individuals that said, you know, their taxation isn't fair, and, and it, was a, it was a very fragile time. And in the context of that, uh, John Quincy Adams made this statement, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you're, you're a leader. And certainly there were individuals in that framing of our history as a country that did that, and that's why we are here today. That's why we celebrate uh, the the freedoms that we have is because they saw that and they dreamed it and they invi- and they passed their dream on to others and we're still living on the benefit of those dreams. Uh, another quote that I that I came across and and uh, Napoleon pretty simple but he, but definitely did it. A leader is a, a dealer in hope, uh, you know. And here here's a guy that conquered most of the world and he inspired others to follow his hope, his dream. Uh, then, you know, I like this one. Boy, I wish the, our politicians would revisit this one. Leadership is not about the next election. It's about the next generation. Boy, would that change things if that really was the perspective of uh, the leaders, especially in the realm of politics. And then probably the best, best documentary on leadership ever put out there in, in the history of, of the last couple years is this one, A Bug's Life. Need to watch it if you never have. And I, and I gravitated onto this quote because in A Bug's Life, here's the quote. First world leadership, everything's your fault. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I set the stage for that because that's where Paul's going now. And, and if you remember, if you were here last week, which a lot of you weren't because, man, the plague has hit Nebraska. I, it's just, it's amazing how many people are sick and... and uh, and uh, this stuff is lasting, and so I recognize that. Uh, and by the way, we have uh, a lot of uh, the, the stuff to put on your hands to help with germs out there, so get a dab on your way out here. But, uh, but we, we, last week, we, we looked at chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and, and Paul was talking there about the, the things that, some of the things that have been dividing this church in Corinth, because remember, it was a very unhealthy body, lots of Lots of issues that shouldn't have been issues, and we'll see more of them as we work through here, because what we're doing is, as a, as a body here, we're looking through this, this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinth church. We're looking at the captions, and remember, the captions were not in the original. This is actually a letter from Paul. It wasn't divided up in verses and chapters. It didn't have those little captions at the beginning to kind of help you say, here's what's coming. That was all added later. Uh, but we've been walking through the captions, and uh, if you remember last week, he talked about the divisions. One of the things he came to in the end was, uh, and he talks about this early on in the book as well, is that they had actually divided up over who they 
held in esteem as their leaders. And so some of them were saying, you know, I follow Paul, and some said, I follow Apollos, and, and some said, I follow Peter, and some said, well, I, I trumped that, I follow Jesus. And, and, and they were using as, that as a way to f- argue with each other. And, and he said, man, that, you're wrong. That is so wrong. And then he moves into the chapter we're going to look at today by saying, hey, let me talk to you about what godly leadership looks like. So you know that here it's not about the person, it's about the characteristics of the person. And that's what we're going to dig, dig into. But you know, it's interesting, the caption at the top of chapter 4, at least in the NIV, is uh, Apostles of Christ. And so, just to start right off and remind us that those are man-made, I don't think I agree with that caption. Because as Paul goes on now to talk, I don't think he's talking specifics of apostles, uh, these individuals, these 12 individuals that, that uh, and we'll talk about how they got their position in a moment. I think he's talking in a more generic way about leadership, uh, specific in the issue that he's talking of leadership in the church, but really, these, these principles we're going to look at apply to any good leader, in my mind. You can take, you know, so much of the Word of God, uh, you, in fact, I would say everything in the Word of God, you're going to take and, and apply it to life in general. And so we're going to look at some principles that are very down to earth, very practical about what does good leadership look like. But, but, uh, but Paul starts off, and the reason they came to this, they put that title is because as Paul begins this uh, book, remember we looked at this a few weeks ago, uh, he starts off by saying, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So, so they're saying, they're kind of carrying that over and saying, well, Paul's uh, writing this as an apostle. And so I kind of want to do a sidebar for a moment and think about, okay, uh, what was an apostle? What's going on there? And uh, uh, Paul, Paul calls himself an apostle. And, and to do that, I want us to walk back into a little bit of the history of church, of the church, and especially uh, towards the end of Christ's ministry. Now, you remember, as Christ walked through his ministry, in fact, fairly early on in his ministry, he grabbed, he had a lot of followers, a lot of disciples, but he grabbed these 12 individuals and kind of pulled them aside as his team, his ministry team that worked with him, that followed him around, that helped out with the ministry, that, you know. And so he's got these 12 individuals, these 12 guys that follow him around and and those are his, kind of his key disciples and this team that he uses for ministry. Now, you do remember that there came a point towards the end of Jesus' ministry when one of those 12 washed out. Remember that? What was that guy's name? Judas. Okay. So, so Judas, man, when, when push came to shove, he not only abandoned Christ, but he betrayed Christ. And, and, and if you remember that... Uh, once it dawned on him what he had done, uh, there was, I, and we don't know, we're, you know, I don't know all that went on in the heart of Judas, but there definitely was a, a grief that caused him to go and he took his own life, if you remember the story. And in fact, we'll look uh, in a moment, there's some prophecy. But so I want to take us back. So this is right after that event has taken place. And uh, uh, early, we, we move into the book of Acts, and you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to go to Acts chapter 1 for a moment, and I'll come back, we'll come back to Corinthians in a second. But early in, in the book of Acts, and remember, I've talked about this before, but Acts is actually a historical study, uh, uh, vantage point of the history of the church in its beginning days, its infant days, as, as it's being established. And, and if you remember, Acts starts off, 
right after Christ has, has risen from the dead, he spent uh, uh, over a month and a half, almost two months, with his followers. A lot of them have seen him alive, and, and now he's returned, he's gone back into heaven. And he told his followers right at the end, he says, go back, when I leave, go back to Jerusalem, go to the supper room, and wait for the Helper, which we know is the Holy Spirit. Uh, Travis talked about him a moment ago, who, who comes in and indwells a person when they become, uh, when they accept the gift of forgiveness, one of the things that takes place is God the Spirit comes and lives within us. And, and so that day, that day, they did what they were told, and the day we called the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and indwelled the believers and has ever since, and some, some marvelous things happened. Peter, Peter, the guy who just uh, weeks before was such a chicken that he denied ever knowing Jesus, following Jesus, or being around Jesus, now he stands up on, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, and he preaches this amazing message. Uh, a power, if you, you want to read a powerful message, man, it, it, he got right to it. And the result is 3,000 people come to Christ. They, they understand and they respond. And so in one day, the church it begins, and it starts out with 3,000 followers of Christ, which is a, a mind-boggling. But something else happens right around that period of time, and that's, that's what I want to read you about, because... Uh, uh, they're, they're, the guys come together. In fact, Acts chapter 1 is where, and I'm going to read it to you, starting with verse 21. In fact, starting with verse 20. So all the disciples, the 11 that are left, Peter's gone, or Judas is gone. So Peter, they're all together and they're talking, and Peter says this. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in. Now, first of all, he's talking about prophecy, and that's a prophecy about the fact that someone that there's going to be one that will betray Jesus, and that his burial ground should be a place that's deserted. And if you know the story, that's exactly what happened. And, and then he says, so that's in prophecy. But he said, there's something else in prophecy that we need to note. So he goes on. He said, here's the other prophecy about that. He says, after that's happened, may another take his place of leadership. So Peter says, okay, Jesus is gone, just like the pro- God said it would happen, God's word said it would happen. Now we have a job to do. We need to choose a leader to take his place. Because we're supposed to be 12, and we need 12, and so we need to choose a leader. So then it goes on. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of us must become a witness. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men: Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice or Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, "Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs." And then they cast lots, and the lot found to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, this, from this moment on, perk up, because I'm giving you Canadaology. This is my opinion, and, and, uh, and not everyone agrees with me, which that's not uncommon. But here's my opinion. I think they overstepped. I don't think it was their job to choose a new apostle. They looked at that prophecy, and they said, another one's going to be appointed, and they decided that they're the ones that appoint him, and I don't really think they were supposed to. In fact, they choose this guy named Matthias. How many of you have read about Matthias before, or heard about Matthias, or 
He, he, he never shows up on the picture. Because I think God had chosen a man. Eight chapters later, later in this book, we come across a guy named Saul, chapter 9 of Acts. Remember Saul? Now, it's interesting, they set their qualification. They said that if this, in fact, well, that's Vines. I wanted this, I got ahead of myself. Definition, Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words defines an apostle as a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. So they set up their, their say, they say, well, if he's going to be an apostle, he needs to have been an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. He needed to have seen Jesus in his ministry. They needed to have seen seen him uh, on the cross, and the resurrected Jesus. So they said, so that, that's, that's what we think the qualification should be. And I don't have a problem with that qualification, quite frankly. But I think they missed one. And that's this one. Every single one of them had been put in that position by who? Jesus Christ. He, he handpicked those individuals. I think they missed that. And so... Church history goes on a little far. They got this guy named Saul. He's out there, and he's been a witness of Jesus' ministry, not on the side of, I'm for it. He was against it, but he watched it. And the more he watched it, the more angry he came about it. And he made a decision, I'm going to stamp this ministry out. If I have to do it by myself, I am so opposed to Christianity. And then something happened to him in chapter 9 of Acts, tells us this story. Remember? He met the resurrected Jesus face to face on his way to a town called Damascus to cause trouble, to cause havoc for the Christians. Jesus came and said, What? Paul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he saw the resurrected Jesus face to face and was commissioned to become Jesus' 12th apostle, my opinion. And so that's why Paul begins this book in this letter to the Corinthian church this way, and I think that the, that's the part they miss. He had to be appointed by Christ himself. And so Paul starts off in, in Corinthians, gotten ahead of myself, by calling him Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Appointed by Jesus Christ. I think he was the 12th. And he's the one, and, and, and it's amazing. Here's the one who has the, the, the most spotty testimony who probably would be the most unlikely person. And you see that throughout Paul's letters. He's constantly reminding people of, man, I don't deserve this. And yet God used him in such a mighty, powerful way. Most of our New Testament it comes from the letters that Paul wrote. So, so Paul comes to, to chapter 3. He, he goes after the church about the things they're dividing on. A big one is which is under, they line up under these different leaders and they're like, oh, I think he's the better leader. Paul is much more polished. He does a better job. Yeah, but I like Paul, the Apostle Paul's frankness. And, and some of them say, yeah, but you know, Peter's the one that in, in there. And he says, what are you doing? And so he's, he says, let me talk to you about what godly leadership should look like. And that's what happens as he moves into chapter 4. Now, he'll end this section that we're going to go back and look at in just a few moments with this. He'll say, now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself. In fact, and so, so he says, the things I'm ta- I just talked to you about, I'm not saying they apply to everybody else. They apply to me. You need to know. I pre- you know, uh, you, you, every once in a while, you'll come, some of you come out and say, man, you're stepping on my toes today. So I'm stepping on my toes today. 
And the Apostle Paul is saying that very thing. He says, the things I've just said, they apply to me. And when I don't live up to them, I'm in the wrong. And he says, they apply, I apply these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. And then you will not take pride in one man over against another. He says, man, you know, it is not about us. It is not about the leader's personality, about how, you know, charismatic he is or how, how float it is about where his heart is for what is written. And as long as the leader keeps that in mind, he's not going to take pride in himself over another or herself over another and he's saying that's where we're supposed to be and so this with that in mind then he says so going back to the first verse of of chapter four he says let me talk to you about leadership and i think this is such this is so significant and and here's what i say i'm going to tell you when i'm done with this message i have just up there your responsibility so if you're saying right now i got too much responsibility as it is you might want to leave because i'm going to talk to you about what god through the apostle paul said this is what a godly leader looks like and when i talk to you about that what i am saying to you is like it or not i'm talking about myself you got to hold my feet to the fire on these things and the other leaders of this church this stuff is, is God's serious about this stuff. And if you see me as one of the leaders of this church getting off track in any of these things, you have responsibility. Say, hey, Paul, wait a minute. It doesn't line up. You're, what you're saying, what you're thinking, how you're acting, it doesn't line up with what you're supposed to be doing as a leader. So, so this is important stuff. This is a big deal. In fact, uh, come March, one of the things we're going to ask you to do, we're going to have our annual uh, community life meeting where we, th- we think through and talk about. And, and one of the things that takes place in there is we ask you to confirm the leadership. Uh, our, our, our setup and our, and our bylaws, our constitution, is that our leaders are, are uh, confirmed to their position for only a year. We're a year term. And come the next year, we go before you, including me as a pastor, and you say, yeah, we still see in you, not perfection, but we see this heart towards godliness that says that we think you should be in this position. So these are a big deal. So let's walk down through them. Paul says, Though, so then, talking about leaders, men ought to regard us, first of all, as servants. <laughs> you know, boy, is that a missing ingredient. Now, we hear a lot about servant leadership today. Uh, and and I, I, the, I, there, that is that those two Words together don't necessarily show up in Scripture, but it certainly is a principle of Scripture. Even though it's thrown out around a lot, I think their leaders, this is the battlefield. But, but Paul says our perspective, your perspective, and our perspective ourselves is, you know, we're not, we're servants, first of all. Our job, our responsibility, our heart has to be about serving the people that God has placed us among to lead and serve. That, that's what should show up first. And it's interesting, and I don't know if this list is set up by priority or not, but, it, but it's never by haphazardness when it comes to the Word of God. By design, God, God had Paul start with this one. And so if you don't see in, in the heart of a leader that their, their desire is to serve the people that God has placed 
within their realm of responsibility, then, then you recognize you're not talking, you're not looking at a godly leader. If, if the ambition of the leader is, to, is self-serving, then he's not a godly leader. Then I'm not a godly leader if you see that show up in my life. It's so important. So he says, that's first. So then he goes on, he says, and secondly, so then men ought to regard us as those entrusted with the secret things of God. And, and what that word is, you, you know the word, although we don't use this term a lot nowadays, but it's the word steward. He said, leaders, godly leaders, see themselves of, as stewards of, of the organization, the church body that they have been put, made a part of, that, that they recognize that they are there to, to do what is right and what is best and to, to serve as a steward of God. It's not, you know, it's interesting. Uh, as a young pastor, fresh out of Bible college, you, you get these conversations. And, and I heard these, these, uh, these young men that were, that were going into the pastorate like I was. And, and you'd have, you hear conversations like this. There'd be a conversation was, Kind of like in this line. Like, well, I know that at first I got to go into a small church, you know, because I got to work my way up, you know. That, that'll be a stepping stone to the bigger things than days ahead. And right from the get go, you know, you're, and unfortunately, I grew up in such a godly household with a father that my father, every time he moved to a new ministry, it was smaller. I mean, his heart was to build it up, and, and, and God, by God's grace, every time he did. But as soon as it got, I used to, you know, we kidded because I've told you before. As soon as it got to a certain size, my dad would kind of get itchy to go back and start with something that needed to help again. That was his ministry his entire life. Uh, uh, and, uh, and now he's doing it in a, in a senior center home where, you know, he's done, started a new ministry there uh, as an 87-year-old man. Uh, but so I see these guys, and there, there's this perspective of, I will use the church to this, this work to help me build up my reputation so I can go on to bigger things. And, and Paul says, that is not, that is not godly leadership. Godly leader understands a stewardship, that God has called him to that ministry, and, and that he has a responsibility to serve well. And then he goes on. He says, uh, it's also required of those who have been given this trust that they prove faithful. That there's no doubt within the, the individuals that are under their leadership, that are part of their leadership, that are part of their body, that, that they're not only faithful to God, first of all, but they're faithful to them. To their, that there's no sense of, you know what, if things get tough, he or she's going to abandon us. You know, uh, I can remember years ago uh, the the there uh, hearing the story of a pastor who uh, who the there was a it was out east and it was in one of those water areas and the hurricane was moving in and when the hurricane's coming in you know the families in this church they're they're kind of sandbagging getting things ready he packs his family up and he and goes up to another state to get away from it and and you know he wasn't. He was thinking of his family, but what he didn't realize is his church family was looking at and saying, wait a minute, so things get scary and you're out of here? So he says, this, this has to be part of the heart of, of a godly leader is they are, they are faithful. They are faithful to the work that they've been called to. And that, that's, and that everyone knows that. They see it. And then he goes on and, and then he says, I care very little 
if I'm judged by you or by human courts, indeed, I do not even judge myself. Now, you may say, okay, wait a minute. Basically saying, I don't care what you think. That's not exactly right. But this is an important point. He's saying, Paul's saying, if it is a godly leader, he's, he is not a people pleaser. Now, I got to tell you, I, I don't know too many pastors with a pastor's heart that don't battle this one because I want you to be happy. I really do. You know, I, I want you to be pleased. But Paul's saying, my first concern has to be that my God is pleased. Sometimes that means making hard decisions that are not popular, but, but, they are, but they're right. And my, man, dude, you know, do I, I, we long for that in the political realm, just to, to be able to have that posture that it's, you know, it's not about what everybody wants. It's not this, oh, the polls are that way, let's go that way. It's about this is the right thing to do. Let's do that. And he says, that's what I have to be. That's what a godly leader does. And, and then he goes on and he says this, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges. And here's what he's saying as, as, an, as a final ingredient we're going to look at this morning. He says, a, a, a godly leader is a person of integrity. And see, not just in front. It's easy, you know, everybody can pretend for a, at least for a season. I can put up on a good front. I can, you know, uh, say the right things. And, but, but in his conscience, and this is where he says, my conscience is clear. I, I, I know a godly leader is a person of integrity, not just out in front, not just on Sunday, not just when somebody's looking, but all the time. And, that, and he says, it doesn't make, I'm not saying I'm innocent, I'm perfect, but I know in my heart that my desire of my heart is to stay right before God, to be a person of integrity in my private life and in my public life. And, you know, I, I, again, I grew up around preachers and preachers' kids. And, and some of the horror stories that I'd hear from the PKs, the preachers' kids. And, and I got to tell you, some, uh, a lot of my fellow PK preachers' kids, I grew up in the preacher's home, there came a time when they totally rejected anything that had to do with the church. And you know why? Not because of the church. Because what they saw in their dad on Sundays was not what they saw at home the rest of the week. And it caused them to reject his faith. As I said, as a godly leader, is, he has a clear conscience. Not perfect. He knows he's not perfect, but he, he's an individual of integrity. And so then he sums it up and he says, and almost like he throws it out the window, but he doesn't. But he says, I, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. <laughs> you think, of, man, how arrogant can you get? For this reason, I'm sending you, Timothy. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. But if you know Paul, you know that this is not an arrogant statement because Paul is the one who says, and you look at his letters over and over again, at, towards the end of his life, after accomplishing all these things of writing letters that are going to be part of the canon of scriptures for, for the history. In fact, you know, all, Paul will say, on, all these things will disappear, except the word of God will remain. Paul's words are going to remain. And, and he goes through all that, and, and you'll hear over and over again. In fact, at the end of his life, he's going to say, I am the least. And I deserve the apostle. Paul will come, he'll write to the Philippian church, he'll say, there was a point in my life when I thought, I am the man of the hour. I, if anyone, God, if you ever 
If there is such a thing as God being lucky, this is your lucky day. That was Paul's attitude about himself. He says, I was, a, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was, I was a Pharisee. I knew the law. I kept the law. I was, in fact, as close to perfection, he says it, as anyone could ever claim to be, I was that. And then he says this statement, and I came to the point where I realized it was all a pile of, in the English translation, it says, dirty, filthy rags. The Greek says manure. He says, Paul says, now I recognize that the only thing I have to offer is that God, by his gracious hand, moved into my life and allowed me to be used by him. And so when he makes this statement, imitate me, he's, he's not saying because I've got it all figured out. He's saying because this is what I have figured out. Without God, I'm nothing. That's what he says. So, so here's the message this morning. First of all, this is information that you as the body of Christ need to have because you have a responsibility to hold your leader's feet to the fire, mine included. But it's also, I want you to recognize all these things we looked at we could look at Scripture, and it applies to all of us. God wants the things that we've just talked about to be a part of all of our life as followers. And, and so this is a good time to reflect and say, hey, is that what I look like? Am I a person of integrity? Do I have a servant's heart? Do I look at what I have, my house, my family, the, and do I see myself as, oh, those aren't mine, but I'm a steward of them? They apply to all of us. And maybe this is the way this whole story applies to you because you recognize that when Paul talks about this relationship with God, you don't have that. And there was a point where Paul didn't. And Paul was about as far from God as anybody could possibly be. But there came that moment where he met the resurrected Jesus face to face. And that resurrected Jesus offered Paul, the enemy of Christianity, offered Paul Forgiveness, restoration, adoption into his family, and Paul recognized it and, re- and received it. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Because you know God loves you, and he wants to be a part of your life, and he has a wonderful plan for you if you'll just let it take place. Father, thank you. Thank you for just, again, th- your word is so practical, so amazingly practical. This stuff today, this, this examination of what good godly leadership looks like, man, not only do we need it in the church, boy, we need it in our world. And, and we recognize that uh, to say our nation is a Christian nation, that, that's not true. Uh, but still, there was a point in the history of our country where leaders were chosen based on these kind of principles. Father, thank you for knowing the things we need to hear. If we're going to be a healthy body, one of those things that's going to be vitally important is is godly leadership. So as we move forward into the days, as we set forth our history as True North Church, keep us on track. First of all, keep us on track and on our eyes on you, True North. We point to Jesus Christ and help us to carefully choose our leaders based on godly principles. And then, Lord, help us as a body of Christ, as a church family, to be the kind of people we expect our leaders to be. 
All these things we pray in your son's name. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in he paid it all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe and sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as
Have a great week. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. We'll see you next time.